Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We need your help, Lord, to see the Lord Jesus in your word. We need your help, Lord, to hear you speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. Genesis 30, verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld thee from the fruit of the womb? She said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her. She shall bear upon my knees that I may have children by her. She gave him Bilhah, her handmaid to wife, and Jacob went in unto her. Bilhah conceived, bare Jacob a son. Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. Leah said, a troop cometh. And she called his name Gad. Now, in our last study, we started this chapter, chapter 30 here, where we read this very striking statement in verse 2, where it says that Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel when he went on to say, do you think I'm God? Who's withholding you from having children? That statement that Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, that's very striking for us because the Hebrew word for anger is af, off for anger is the same as nose or nostrils, and the reason is because when a person gets really angry, his face gets red, and his nose, his nostrils flare, <laughs> and you can tell how angry somebody is by their nose. That's why God gave Jewish people big noses, so you can understand. <laughs> now, and in our study in Genesis, we saw another time when this anger was spoken of, and this word was actually used there. Where was that last anger that we saw in Genesis in our study? Where? Yes, Esau, Esau, I mean, just got to read that to you so you get a full understanding of what this word off means, and this is the first time in the Bible where the word off is used for anger. In Genesis 27, 41, we've studied, it says, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him, and Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning of my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. All these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. She sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau is touching to comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee now to Laban, my brother, into Haran, and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's off 
Until thy brother's anger turn away from thee and forget that which done to him, then I will sign and fetch his dense. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? See, this is the last, this is the last time, this is the first time in the Bible the word af is used for anger. Last time it's describing Esau's feelings toward Jacob's brother for having stolen his birthright. That was when Esau, as described there, he hated Jacob. That was when Esau vowed to kill Jacob. As Esau purposed, it says all these words, to kill Jacob. So, and Rebekah described just how much Esau hated Jacob, and Esau had purposed and set himself to murder Jacob. Then Rebekah uses the word off. And now in verse 2, where we are, we read that Jacob's off was kindled against Rachel. And so if we use Esau's example to, to get an understanding of what off means, Jacob was so angry, he hated Rachel, could have killed her. So when it says in verse 2, Jacob's off, his anger was kindled against Rachel, that, that's not a little spat between lovebirds, all right? <laughs> it's a little more than, oh, honey, it's just such a good thing you're so pretty. Otherwise, I'd really be mad at you, you know? That's not exactly it. He's infuriated. He's infuriated against Rachel. And we look, and we look at this, and there's a terrible situation in the home. You know, there's no shalom in the home here. I mean, we ask ourselves the question, how did this happen? How did all this happen? How did we get to this point? And so when we play this video in reverse to see what happened, what we find is that this terrible home situation came because of the bad consequences from a strange marriage that Jacob made with two sisters. And Rachel ignited Jacob's anger when she accused him of her not having children. See? He said in verse 2, give me children or else I die. And why did Rachel go ballistic on Jacob? I mean, was it really because she she couldn't have children? No, it's explained. It was because Leah was having children and Rachel was not. And so she was frustrated and she took out her frustration against Jacob and said, you're restraining me from having children. She accused Jacob of not being fertile. That's what he's doing here. She's doing. And she had worked herself up to a point where she believed that Jacob was restraining her from having children. She could pass a lie detector test. She gave it to her. She believed that. It was Jacob's fault. So different from Sarah. Sarah, when she couldn't have children, she wasn't at that state. In Genesis 16:2, Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray that you go into, and then there's that whole bad history. I don't even want to read it. It's so terrible. See, uh, these problems in the home, they came from Jacob forcing this marriage to Rachel. This shows how important it is for Christian young people, make sure that they're not forcing their way into a marriage that God never wanted, because we're reading about the consequences that happen here. And so Jacob, through his hatred of Leah, had put Leah in the background. Because he loved Rachel, he put Rachel in the foreground. But God, by giving four sons and the most important son, Judah, to Leah, he put Leah in the foreground, and by restraining Rachel from children, God put Rachel in the background. So we have this terrible tug of war going on between Jacob and God, where Jacob is saying, I want Rachel in the foreground and Leah in the background. And God's saying, I want that humble, God-fearing Leah in the foreground, and I want that proud, high-minded Rachel in the background. 
it's not a good idea to have a tug of war with God. He can't win that one. So then Jacob told Leah, uh, sorry, he told Rachel. I get confused. I don't know how Jacob kept it all straight. But anyway, <laughs> Jacob told Leah that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't him, but it was God that was withholding her from conceiving. Then Rachel said, fine, we'll find out if this fertility problem is with me or you, Jacob. And if you're right, Jacob, and God is withholding me from conception, then I'll just go around God. She's smart in the average bear. And God cannot restrain me from having children. I'll go around God, and Bilhah will have children with you, Jacob, and I'll call those children my children. So what we see here in Rachel's strategy is the proud, stubborn Rachel saying that she's going to have children at any cost, period. There's no way that the proud Rachel is going to stand humiliated, but next to her childless, Rachel childless, next to her younger, her sister, her older sister, Leah. So Rachel now orders Jacob in verse 3, behold my maid Bilhah, go in unto her. She says, we can be sure. She didn't ask Jacob, you know. <laughs> so would you like? She said, go. So what else is the obedient stud supposed to do? <laughs> Except verse 4, and Jacob went in unto her. And then we read in verse 5 that Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son, which showed that Rachel was wrong about the fertility problem and being Jacob's fault. And it was true that God had restrained Rachel from fertility. Now, you would think that when Rachel saw this, at this point, if she was not proud and stubborn, she would have sat back and say, boy, you know, he was right. It was God who was restraining me from having children. Maybe there's something wrong with me. No, that can't be it. (laughs) If there's something that God is not happy about in my life, maybe I need to humble myself. Maybe I need to abandon all this pride and arrogance. Maybe I ought to try to please God. None of those thoughts came to Rachel's mind. So as soon as the son is born, in verse 6, it says, And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and has also heard my voice, and given me a son. And she called his name Dan, which means judge. Judged or uh, judge. So Rachel takes the child, claims the child as her own, and she gives the name to the child. Sorry, Bill, huh? All right. And the names that Rachel gives to her children reveal what's inside Rachel. And what's ironic, what's ironic in verse 6 is, this, is she says, God hath judged me. Well, the truth is God had judged her and found her to be proud and self-centered, and that's why God was restraining her from conception, from conceiving. But she didn't see it that way. She said, God hath judged me. And so what Rachel said God's judgment was, Rachel said, look, Rachel saw her barrenness by the side of Leah's children was a disgrace and a great injustice against Rachel. So when Rachel says in verse 6, God hath judged me, she meant, look, God has agreed with me. It was wrong for me to not have children. And she was saying, God has agreed with me. She meant God was finally straightening out this wrong injustice, and it's about time. And to memorialize that God finally got around to straightening out the injustice wrongly placed on her, she names the child Dan, meaning God judged. In other words, Rachel's saying, God judged and found, he found out I was right 
and a great injustice was done to me for not having children, and finally God has vindicated me. So, you know, she names him Dan. She might as well has named the boy Wake Up because she was saying God finally woke up and made the wrong right against me. That's Rachel's thinking. I mean, when Bilhah conceived, Rachel said to herself, see, I was right to have given Bilhah to my husband because look at that, Bilhah had a baby, duh. But anyway, so that makes me justified in giving my husband to another woman. And in verse six, Rachel now is speaking for God. And Rachel is saying, by giving me this son, God is saying that I was right and, and he's saying it was un, unjust and that for me not to have children. I mean, can you imagine that when Rachel spoke for God, that God, you know, God listening to this might have said, who, me? <laughs> Did I say that? I didn't say that. I restrained Rachel from having a son and she went around me and now she's saying that I gave her a son when she went around me. So Jacob's watching all this and he's seeing in his two wives, I mean, you know, we could say poor Jacob. We could say, Jacob, you're in a good position there. You got these two wives. And what are you seeing in Leah and Rachel, Jacob? And Jacob, we could just imagine Jacob, just if he could just pull himself away from the fray, and if he could just take himself out of the middle of the conflict and just can maybe walk up into the hills alone with those goats, you know, and, and just sit down and just think, you know, God has given me a front row seat. And Jacob would see this tremendous difference between the humble Leah and the proud Rachel. And he'd ask himself the question, what kind of a person do I want to be like? Do I want to be like Leah, letting the problems of life push me to God? Letting the problems of life push me into praising God? I want to be like that? Or do I want to be like Rachel, pushing God into my way? pushing God to justify me and vindicate me. So as we study this chapter, we see that God has given us, along with Jacob, a front row seat where we can clearly see this great contrast between Leah and Rachel. And like Jacob, ask ourselves a question, what kind of Christian do I want to be like? Do I want to be a Leah Christian, growing in grace, growing from a Reuben, hold us unto us, Simeon, God's hearing me, I'm praying. Oh, okay, well, falling in Levi and seeing only my problems, but then rising up out of it and praising him. I want to be a Leah Christian, praising God. Or do I want to be a Rachel Christian, souring in bitterness? Now, and then we see how Rachel's maid gave birth to a second son in verse 7. And Bill, her Rachel's maid conceived again, bear Jacob a second son. And again we see From the name that Rachel gives to the boy and the explanation, we see what's inside Rachel in verse 8. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. Naphtali. She calls the boy Naphtali, which literally means my wrestling. And when the Septuagint translated this, they went a little bit further and said, Naphtalim, in other words, my wrestlings. So in the naming of her first son, Dan, she only mentions God to say that God was on her side in the fight against her sister, and God was vindicating her against her sister. But in the naming of the second son, Naphtali, she's not mentioning God at all. 
So from the name Naphtali, Rachel is not saying God is fighting for her. She's saying, I'm fighting for myself. And from the name Naphtali, Rachel has no concept of depending on God. It's just absent. From the name Naphtali, Rachel is saying that she is wrestling with her sister, and she explains with great wrestlings, have I wrestled with my sister, and I prevailed. She calls the name Naphtali. So when we see Rachel in verse 8 saying, with great wrestlings, have I wrestled with my sister, we see how Rachel's life is consumed with this wrestling, with this fighting with her sister. Rachel is wasting her life fighting with her sister. And when we see that, that's a tremendous warning for us of Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The Lord Jesus Christ used that phrase. That's a very important phrase, flesh and blood. He used that phrase. Remember when he used it? Flesh and blood? That's it. That's it. He said that. He used flesh and blood. When Peter came to understand the great secret, I was talking to a 30-year-old Israeli girl up in Los Angeles, and she said, you got to see this movie, The Secret. She was explaining to me, the secret is that love isn't everyone. I said, oh, I know that. I said, I, said, I see that with the Iranians and how they love the Jewish people. So, <laughs> but she said, uh, she said, the great secret. And I said, I'll tell you what the great secret is. The great secret for the Jewish people is Jesus Christ is God. That's the great secret. And that was the great secret that was revealed to Peter in Matthew 16, 16, when it's, and Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what he said. And Jesus answered and said unto him, as Clinton said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Paul used that phrase, flesh and blood. Anybody remember where he used it? He used that phrase to describe what he did when he understood a great secret, a great secret that Jesus Christ in the person of his Holy Spirit was inside of him. And Paul said he didn't discuss that with anyone. He didn't speak about that to anyone for three years. And he said in Galatians 1, 15 through 18, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He said, neither went I up to Jerusalem, but to the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. And after three years, then I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. See, when Paul said he conferred not with flesh and blood, that meant he went to be alone with God for three years. That's a long, quiet time. Three years in Arabia, where he let God reprogram everything that he had been taught by his rabbis. And reprogram it in the, in, in the sense to see in the scriptures Jehovah Jesus, that Jehovah is Jehovah Jesus. But Rachel has decided to give her life to wrestling with flesh and blood, her sister. And in verse 8, when, when she says, with great wrestlings I've wrestled with my sister, we feel so sorry for Rachel. She's wasting her life. She's wasting her life on a senseless fight with her sister. I mean, we feel sorry for Rachel as we see her waste her life trying to get even with her sister. She reminds me of a daughter 
who's cut off all communication with her father. She's wasting her life in a senseless struggle to prove she's right. All the while this is going on, Rachel is losing any chance of a relationship with God. This senseless struggle is isolating Rachel. It's isolating Rachel. Who's, Rachel doesn't have any friends. Where's a friend of Rachel? She doesn't have any friend. Rachel has no friend. Her husband's not her friend. <laughs> He's off with her. Bill is not her friend. She says, you know, have babies and grabs them. They push her into the arms of her husband. Okay, she certainly doesn't have a friend in Leah. She doesn't have any friends. So her great wrestlings with her sister has caused her a great isolation in her life into a sad, lonely existence and because she's obsessed with getting even. You know, she's, she's the over-my-dead-body person. It's sad. A life of great wrestlings to get even, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. That's why when we're faced with a decision to fight or not fight, we need to remember what it says in 2 Timothy 2, 24-25. The servant of the Lord must not strive. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So as we take a good look at Rachel, and when she's saying here, with great wrestlings have I wrestled my sister, we hear God say to us, as servants of the Lord, don't do that. Don't do that, because the servant of the Lord must not wrestle with great wrestlings. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. But it didn't have to turn out this way for Rachel. It was all in her power to decide, and God always provides for us in Scripture other examples, similar situations, but other examples, so that we can see it could have gone differently. Who was that in Scripture who didn't have any children and who also didn't have a good relationship with the other wife? As Hannah is Hannah. She didn't have any children, and, uh, and there was the other wife, and the other wife taunted her. I mean, uh, both of them, Rachel, Hannah, had the problem of the other wife. Uh, but rather than fight, as Rachel did, Hannah prayed. And her prayer is recorded for us in 1 Samuel 1, 10 through 11, 1 Samuel 1, 10 through 11, and it says, and she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord. All the days of his life there shall no razor come upon his head. See, Rachel envies, Hannah prays. Rachel wanted to have children, Hannah just asked for just one child. Rachel is blaming and demanding. Hannah is submissive and devout. Rachel wanted children to use in her fight against her sister. Hannah said, if thou will give me a child, I will give him to the Lord. And while Rachel dies, giving birth to her second son, Hannah gets four more children. So now notice in verse 8, Rachel went on to say, I have prevailed. That's quite a statement. When Rachel says, I have prevailed. She's taking credit for her craftiness in using Bilhah to have children that she could then adopt as her own. She says, I won. But did she really prevail? Did Rachel really prevail? Was the fight really over? <laughs> Not really. Because at the birth, way on down the road to, of her second to last son, when the birth of Joseph, she's still wrestling. And 
verse 23 of this chapter, when she conceives and bears a son, and she said, God has taken away my reproach. So she still feels she's got a reproach. She's still got a reproach. It needs to be taken away. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. Do you have a heart for Israel and lost Jewish people in America? Then come work in Southern California as a full-time or volunteer missionary working with Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries reaching lost Jewish people with their Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hourly wage, 401k, health insurance, company car and phone, and other amazing benefits. Call us, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, israelrestoration.org.